this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net and once again it is another edition of the education show so good to have you along with us a very special guest today uh so special in fact that she's in another time zone uh, and who is that <laughs> it's yen for Murfin. Hello, yen. hi <laughs> hi david it's good to be here thank you it's fantastic to to have you along with us before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this whole thing tell me a little bit about yen when did you sort of grow up give me a bit of background yeah sure um let's see where do i start um i started actually in science so when i was growing up i actually wanted to be a biologist and i became a biologist and uh managed a lab and realized that wasn't exactly where i wanted to go in life um ran into a buddy of mine who is a teacher and she convinced me to go into teaching and that was really where my passion started when i started teaching um you know we developed a couple of biotech programs i got recruited across the country from california i grew up in california I got recruited across the country to Maryland to actually start a complete college program for biotechnology because I guess, you know, I learned a lot of lessons along the way, but I think one of the most important ones is how empowering education can be to students as well as to teachers and faculty. In some ways, being in the field of education brings out the very best qualities in people. And that's part of the reason why I love doing it. Um, after I went, you know, after I was a department chair for a while, I decided, you know what, this stuff is all great, but I need to grow bigger. And so I pursued my PhD in learning theory, uh, curriculum and design and online teaching, which seems very timely right now with the pandemic, right? And once I received my PhD, I realized that being a professor at a university would not get me to my vision, which is to revolutionize how we teach across the world. So that's my mission in a nutshell. Does that help, David? <laughs> it does indeed. But now, so, so where does QI uh, come in? When, when did you start sure. that? So key learning started literally a month after I received my PhD. So um, I was, you know, I, the thing people don't think about when you pursue a PhD, and I did it for seven years, is, you know, you have your heart set on just finishing and getting that degree, you know, and the dream of being called doctor and all these great things. And then you're at your defense and you realize, what do you do next? It's that existential crisis that happens, you know, um, once you get your PhD and it hits hard. And when I hit that existential crisis, you know, it's, it's the point where you realize, okay, I finished this really big thing, but what do I do next? You know, um, do I want to be a professor? Do I want to do these things? And I knew all along, I think within a year of graduating, that being a professor wasn't going to accomplish the things I needed, but I was also in denial because to me, business is a terrifying venture. I didn't know anything about business, but you know, the more I thought about it, the more I looked at, you know, the different avenues that I could go, I realized 
business was the only way, becoming an entrepreneur was the only way to get to where I needed to go. And so I created Key Learning Research Group, QI. Some people call it QI because it's the opposite of IQ. Other people call it Key because we deal with the universal ways that we learn. So as a learning theorist, one of the, um, and I love theory, I absolutely love theory. One of the things that education has done is um, mechanized and weaponized learning to the point where in schools, we're actually not learning the way that we normally do. We are born natural learners. That's the reason why we can adapt. That's how we acquire language. That's how 85% of what we know has never come from the classroom, but it's learned because we're instinctive learners. Key learning, the name key is universal to remind us of that fact. So every time I see my company, I'm reminded of the fact that, you know, this is what we fight for. We fight for, you know, um, an education system that actually honors the fact that everybody has a natural tendency to learn and that everybody has the potential to reach their highest destinies when they're given the keys to learn to their fullest potential. Okay. I, you know what? My, my menu is on, it stood for quite interesting. Uh, key, key, <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Uh, what I love about the name, in many ways, is that there's a bit of ambiguity on it. Uh, we deliberately, I deliberately, did not put what key learning stood for in our website because I love the multiple interpretations that people have about the name. It's one of my my favorite things. It's probably a quirk that I have about it, but I, you know. And it tells me a lot about what people think, you know, about the company and stuff like that. And, and it's just enjoyable. So <laughs> fantastic stuff. I think, I think it's, it's, it's so cool. But now when we talk about learning and about education mm -hmm. and, and particularly here in, in Africa and in South Africa, I'm a product of, of uh, a government school. So there was no private schooling for me. And to a large degree, I was, I was seen as a bit of a problem child. And it, was, it wasn't because I deliberately wanted to be a problem child. It was because just the way that, that this, what we used to call book learning uh, yes. just did not interest me in the slightest. And people kept telling me about the necessity to have this type of schooling. And I'd go, but I'm not a parent. Unfortunately, you know, in, in, in those times, I and mean, in fact today, still, you know, independent thinking is not encouraged in classrooms. Yes. So this is a, a problem. And now suddenly here yes. you come and you're going, no, well, hang on. I, I agree that learning doesn't take place that way and that uh, we, need to, we need to change the way we look at things and change education. And Absolutely. I, I cannot imagine that is a popular theory amongst educators <laughs> i think educators if you talk to any educators especially when they first start most educators are actually rebels at heart because they go into education now now i'm talking about you know um the united states in general most people go into education because they want to change how education is done they want to change how their education was done sometimes. They want to be the teacher that they never had. The problem, though, as you've aptly described, is that 
we as a global society only know education as quote unquote book learning and anything else that falls outside of worksheets, that falls outside of, you know, um, sitting passively at our desk while our teacher just, you know, bathes us or drowns us in knowledge. Anything outside of that is not acknowledged as an education or as learning. And the problem with that, though, just like you said, is that we have a society that no longer or let me reverse that, we have a school system which was actually built, um, and like I said, I, I'm not as familiar with South Africa and Africa, but in the United States, our education system was built 50, 60 years ago when we needed factory workers who could follow instructions and do things as they were told. This philosophy and theory is how our education system was built, and the problem with that is our society has changed from being an industrial society where we needed factory workers to being an information society where we need creatives and innovators. And the problem is that you can't create and innovate or you can't teach people to be create and innovate in a box. Creatives and innovative people belong outside the box by definition. And so oftentimes um, the work that we do when we work with educators, because that's what key learning is about, we reach educators, we empower them in their power, and then we remind them of their vision when they started, which like I said, is oftentimes to inspire the children that they teach. And in some ways, when we start that journey, it's a hard look at the fact that education as it is right now, its systems of power, its ways of operating are parallel to prisons and mental institutions because they are places to control people. And once teachers see that, they're faced with the question, as an educator, are you the jailkeeper or are you the liberator? And what we do is we help teachers envision what education can and should be. It's a lot of work because it's hard to think that way. It's hard to think about what school looks like when it's not school. But that's part of the, the exciting work that I do is to say, imagine that. Imagine what happens when you know people like you, David, are given the tools to do whatever it is you need to do to pursue your dreams. And that's not to say you haven't. I mean, most of the creatives and innovators that are out there have done it despite school, not because of it. And that's a problem. Yeah, I would agree with you because I'm, I'm, I'm exactly like that. I mean, I, I've achieved what I've achieved in spite of my education. And, yeah. you know, when you talk about the, 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 the sort of South African scenario or the African scenario, our system is built very much on a, on a archaic sort of uh, basis, uh, very much like you say, where they were looking for people for the industrial age, uh, people that would follow instructions and would be able to do repetitive things, and it stayed like that. Now, I know there is a groundswell, and, and people are starting to ask questions. I think it's, it's, it's brilliant that they are. I'm sad mm -hmm. that, to me, it's a little late, 
But if we go back to the old Chinese saying, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago, the next best time <laughs> is today. So, you know, let's, let's, let's yes. do that and, and let's plant some metaphorical trees. But in the midst of all of this, and I'm sure you, like everybody else, started off this year um, with some brilliant dreams and ambitions and things you wanted to achieve. And then along came a pandemic. Yes. And this <laughs> pandemic really slapped us all upside the head. And it continues to do so. And I believe it will continue to do so for a while. You know, here in South yes. Africa, we, we sort of kind of passed what they, they say is the peak of the pandemic. But I'm looking at what's happening in the UK and other countries and I'm going, oh, I don't know if we have and I hope we, we have. But it's given us massive challenges. And some of the biggest challenges have been faced by our students and our educators. Speak to me a Absolutely. little bit about that. How, how has it impacted you? And Because and, and, I can't help feeling that as bad as this pandemic has been, there's been quite a bit of good that's come out of it as well. Yes, absolutely. There's two things that I would speak to in those, in those cases. One is the pandemic is a disruption in what we normally think of as education. And so because of that disruption, it allows for different forms of learning to emerge. And we've already seen that, right? Who would have ever thought that an elementary teacher would need to use Zoom to teach their classroom of kindergarten students? It's unheard of. But at the same time, this pandemic has shown how absurd our education system is too. For example, how do you teach a classroom of kindergartners over Zoom? Like how absurd is that when we have adults who can't even use Zoom? And yet this is our expectation that we're giving teachers. So yes. in some, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, and, I'm saying yes and smiling as you're talking about this because with my background, I mean, my, my background is in radio and that's what I've grown mm -hmm. up doing. And I've, I've always been of the opinion that in order to present a decent radio show and interview your guests, you need to have what I refer to as bums in seats, somebody sitting across <laughs> from you. And suddenly that all got taken away from me. And, and Zoom, I mean, Microsoft Teams intimidates the life out of me. If somebody ever wants to do a Teams interview with me, I try my best <laughs> to avoid it because I've only just figured out Zoom. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. And I'm not sure if South Africa has the same demands. We have elementary teachers here, and you've got to imagine this. And again, I'm saying this is the absurdity of our system. Elementary teachers who have 20 kids in the classroom, in addition to several kids online, and they're supposed to teach everybody all at the same time. Okay. Um, right? I know that <laughs> I know the challenges because I happen to have a couple of my friends who, who are teachers and I, mm -hmm. I sort of stand in awe of, of educators because the job that you do, the responsibility that we as parents just so happily hand over, you know, and say, well, mm -hmm. off you go, go do your thing. And just the challenges of, of teaching a normal, uh, you know, everyday life class is massive. And then to give them this added challenge, there's there's been – yeah, it's, it's been terrible. I mean, I, I don't yes. think we've, we've seen the psychological fallout yet on both sides, both teachers yes. and, and students. Yes. And 
a big reason for that is because teachers have always been left out of the conversation. So, you know, I, when you started this radio program, I talked about the fact that, you know, when I say we need to revolutionize the ways that we teach, I am truly talking about starting a rebellion. Because here's the thing, rebellions start with people who are discontent, who have pushed themselves to the breaking point where they need to stand up and say enough is enough. In some ways, and you know, again, I just, you know, I think about what teachers are being asked to do right now. The workload that we originally had was hard enough. But as you can probably imagine, teachers are working two, three times harder now because not only do they have to teach in person, but they also have to design instruction online for those that are fully online and design instruction for kids that are hybrid. There's all of these teaching models and the problem is the sheer ignorance of the people that are actually calling attention to the system. The people who are making the decisions for how school is done, for what teachers are supposed to do, in general, have absolutely no classroom experience whatsoever. It's absolutely absurd. Um, I would, I would way, agree with oh, you. Go ahead. I would agree <laughs> with you because because here in South Africa, it's very much like that. And, and those few teachers who dare to stick up their hands and go, but hang on, this isn't working. They get told to be quiet and do it that way because this is the way it's always been done. And, and for me, I'm, I'm very pro-rebellion in that because I'm, I'm forever questioning and I'm questioning why. So yes. if it's always been done like this, why continue doing it like this if we know it's not working? Um, yes. And yet the institutions seem to be stuck in their ways. So, so right. let's talk more about revolution. Now you've got me fired up. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, yes, David, what, what, what is your question about revolution? Well, where, where does one start? I mean, you, you've started mm. your, 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 your business and, uh, you know, the, 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 the payoff line there is uh, Ignite the World. So, so where do we start with our igniting of the world? We start with the teachers so, okay. and the parents. And, you know, anybody that has a stake in education right now needs to think about it this way. We have a system that does not serve us. It no longer serves our purpose. In COVID-19, it's even worse, right? They have its grip on that power because let's face it, education is a very lucrative endeavor. The problem mm -hmm. though, is that you've got people in power that are not willing to give it away. The other thing is, let's look at our societal view of education. Most people have no idea the amount of training that our teachers need in order to teach our students. In some cases, they're called babysitters, right? They don't feel that, you know, teachers deserve the salaries that they have. They feel that they're only working part-time. There's all of these false narratives that demoralize and disempower teachers all over the world. Part of the work that we do is letting teachers, having teachers see the kind of damage that these institutions are doing to students as well as themselves. One thing that I've started to study is the fact that 
most schools are actually very toxic workplaces. I had a teacher that actually described her work environment as an abusive relationship where kids are involved. Wow. And that to me is powerful because here's the thing. I've said that with teachers before and all of a sudden you see people who get teary eyed because it's so true. Now think about this in an abusive relationship. What happens? The partner convinces the other person that they're worthless. This other person questions who they are, what they're capable of. They question their own decisions because they're made to rely on this other person who is both a narcissist and probably a person that savors and enjoys that disempowerment, right? When we look at abusive and toxic relationships, it's about damaging and disempowering the other person, the abused. This is no different than in our classrooms, which is the terrifying thing about this model. Now think about it this way. The way that I talk about education is let's compare that with medicine, okay? Right. In medicine, in the 1970s, nurses were treated very similarly to teachers now in the fact that they were not really valued. They were not really paid. People didn't realize their importance. But then a social movement happened. A revolution happened where teachers stood up. They went to the Capitol. They protested, they met with Congress people, and they got what they deserved. They got their pay raises, they got the respect they needed, they got their unions, very strong unions, you know, and they got the training that they needed. Now, when we look at society's discussion about nurses, we realize how essential they are to medicine. Here's the thing, when we look at education, our teachers are not the nurses in the system. They're the doctors. 95% of the elementary teachers that are in the United States have master's degrees at this point. Wow. Master's degrees, okay? All of our teachers, for the most part, have bachelors. Master's is one thing on top of that. But yet, who is making the decisions? It's the administrators that have never set foot in the classroom. So this is, if we think about the medical field, okay, this is like telling doctors, everybody who walks in who has a headache needs aspirin. We don't care if this kid walked in with a concussion, they still need aspirin. And if you want to treat that student differently, then you're going to have to fill a lot of paperwork and we have to label that kid as special to get that treatment. Do you see how twisted and terrible our society is for this? Absolutely. We're, Absolutely. Our, our doctors are not making the decisions. Instead, we have people who have absolutely no clue about what students need, who are telling our, our teachers exactly what the students have to have. Imagine if our medical society had that model, how many people would die because of that mistreatment. Now, Let's look at the equivalent in the United States. 60% of our fourth grade students in the United States tested below proficiency in math and science. This was last year. What? 60%.
So, and, and I mean, we, we, sorry to, to interrupt you again, but I mean, we often are told to look to the United States as the first world country, um, and, and this is the model of how things should be. And, and you're telling me that 60% of them um, tested under? Wow. Okay. I'd hate so, to know what the, what the figures are in our country. Then. I really would. <laughs> they may be better. I don't know. You know, um, but what this says is something about like our system, right? In the medical field, if it ran the same way as our education system, how many people would die? Because our doctors, the people that were trained to teach, our teachers are not allowed, do not have the power to actually teach students the way they're supposed to be taught. And, and it's such a valid point. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to my experiences, my interactions with, with teachers and that. And, 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 you know, you talk about this, this institution that, that runs education. And mm -hmm. I cannot but help think about the damage that has been done to so many Absolutely. students and teachers. I mean, you, you, yes. teaching, teaching is not a job. Teaching to me is a calling. And yes. it's a calling that, I mean, we should be, and, 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 you know, getting back to the medical analogy, I mean, during, during COVID now, suddenly we had another big wake up call as to the role of our emergency services, doctors, nurses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, suddenly yes. we're going, oh, you guys, yes, sorry, wow, you, you are the people that we need to look to. And yet teachers fall into that category as well. Teachers, yes, they do. we should revere teachers and, and we should look after them, and yet we don't. So, so you know, yes. we, 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 we've, got the, we've got the burning embers of, of revolution, but how do we ignite that? What do we do here in South Africa? Because, and, and we're very fortunate, mm -hmm. is one of, I see one of your partners is uh, Zibuza.net, who brings you this education show. And yes. we've got a lot of teachers that, that listen in and we talk to teachers. And where do we start? How would we start here? One of the things that we need to do is realize that book teaching doesn't work. And also, and this is something, so here's, here's the dynamic behind starting a revolution. Revolutions start with a grassroots movement where people who are oppressed, and when I say that, I mean that teachers are oppressed. They're not allowed to teach the way they know students need to learn. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to have the funding for that. They're not allowed to have the freedom or the time to teach students the way they're supposed to be taught. And the thing is, parents see the damage, right? I mean, think about it. Wounded people wound people. And we're mm -hmm. in a system of abuse where teachers are being abused. That passes down to the student right? But yet it's a societal norm. It's okay to say our school system doesn't work. I'm going to just go get my, my, you know, son or daughter additional tutoring. We have accepted as a society that this system is broken and we allow it to happen. Now, how we start that, evolu that revolution is that we have to start with standing up and saying, this is not acceptable anymore. Why aren't you funding my teachers? Why aren't you giving them the supplies that they need so that our students get the education they deserve? And it starts with parents talking to their school boards, 
talking to their institutions. It starts with teachers standing up and saying, okay, you, my administrator, are not going to give me what I want. I'm going to start going out to different businesses to raise the money I need to teach the way I know my students deserve to be taught. It's about looking at who is supporting you in this vision and then asking them for that support. And the reason why this is probably the key step and one of the most difficult steps is, again, You've got these teachers who have been convinced since the day they walked into the classroom that they don't have power anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the work that we do, the work that Zibuza does, okay, is when we put teachers together and we start having these conversations, it starts with where can you take back your power? Where can you start writing to share the atrocities that are happening in our school system with our students? Where do we bring that to light? And how do we make that happen? So like, David, even me being on this podcast, this opportunity to be able to talk to you about it is part of that rebellion because what we have to do first is wake people up. Mm. One is wake up, look at the problem. And then two is, do you see the problem that's happening? Do you understand if we have a society where 60% of our you know, members of society don't understand or do math and science that this is a problem when it comes to our, our evolution. Do you see that? Are you going to take that or are you going to rebel? That's really the decision we give. Yeah, but you make a very important point because, and, and one of the things in the South African uh, education institutions is this whole concept, which is, is drilled into teachers and then by association into the students as well is don't stand out yes. don't stick your hand up or stick your head out because it's probably going to get chopped off so just don't stand out conform and that mm -hmm. conformity just breeds unhappiness because we're not all built the same way we don't all learn the same way we don't interact the same way so you're making valid points. So now we're stoking this fire a bit more and we're going, yes, Yin, we agree with you. We agree that we need to start the conversations. What kind of support, though, is there for teachers? I mean, is that part of what your organization does? Some of it. So one of the things that we do is we empower teachers with facts and knowledge. We also are starting to notify, you know, let the public know and understand what it takes to be a teacher. You know, like I said, just we, we did a simple graphic that said, did you know most teachers in the United States have a master's degree? Most people don't know that. You know, did you know that most of the teachers in the United States work over 16 hours in a day, every day, even during spring break sometimes and, and even during breaks? because they want the very best for their students. Just like you said, it's mission driven. But the problem is, you know, we are, we're given, you know, they're mission driven and then they're put in a system that takes that mission out of them, right? So some of the work that we do is this. Most governments have mandates and movements for STEM education, for innovation, because we know as a society, that we have to have creativity, we have to have innovation, we have to have leaders 
to take lead of what we're doing right now. This is what our society is asking for, right? Like we know a year, two, three years down the line, there are opportunities for occupations that haven't even be, been created yet. What we have to do is bridge the gap between what we need and what we want and what we're actually doing in our systems. One thing that I, I tell my teachers is if you want to teach and nurture learners and leaders, then you have to give them opportunities to learn and lead. And when I say learn, that's a really loaded term right there. When I say learn, I'm talking about real learning, not I'm going to cram all this information into my head and forget it a month later. That's not learning. I'm talking about learning that becomes the very fabric of your being, the kind of learning that we do despite school. We need to bring that into the classroom, and we need to bring leadership opportunities into the classroom. We need to bring opportunities for kids to actually innovate, to actually do science, to actually do math, to actually take on those roles and practice those roles so that when they graduate, when they're out of here, they're armed with the things that we need as a society to evolve. And that starts with bridging that disconnection, that break between education and what our governments are asking people to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's it blows me away, but we're running out of time. Uh, <laughs> so so what we're going to have to do is is I'm going to have to sort of you know take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and say we're definitely going to have to speak to you again at some stage. But it'd be an honor. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Now, if if somebody's listening to this and and they're in South Africa, in Africa, and and they want to find out more, do do you? Do you guys sort of interact with, with South Africans? How, how would it work? If somebody's going, they're listening now to this, this podcast, and they go, hang on, hang on, hang on. We, we like what uh, Yen is saying, and uh, we want to find out more about Key Learning Research Group. What do we do? You can do a couple of things. So, you know, um, while right now we primarily serve um, teachers in the United States. We have been. Um, we did a virtual conference in April that attracted over five hundred. Uh, sorry, five thousand seven hundred teachers from like twenty five different countries. So we've gone virtual because that's that's the way of the world. You can um, go to keylearning q i learning dot com, and that will connect you to the resources that we have that you have access to. It's all free. You can also be connected to our Facebook group, which is an international group. There's a link at keylearning.com. That's probably the best way to get a hold of us. You can also send me an email too. Um, my contact information is on that website. Would love to hear from you. And we can definitely get you connected into, into the system, into the rebellion that we're building. Fantastic. Well, we are going to be flying the flag high for rebellion here. And uh, I, because I, I got to tell you, just you. In, in terms of the Zabuza, the Zabuza uh, team, I've met some fantastic teachers. I've talked to some fantastic yes. teachers, and I hear exactly what we've been talking about today. I hear it. I hear it in in their voices. That 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 desire, that desperation to be able to sort of set themselves and their students free. 
So yes. I think I think we're on to a winner here. And and uh, Ian, to to you and your team for everything that you have done and continue to do. A very big thank you, and thank you for taking the time out of your day to to have a chat to us. And uh, we do wish you all the best. Let this let this revolution fly. Thank you, David. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. And like I said, um, if this has ignited you, don't let that spark turn out. You know, go out, reach out to us. Because, you know, especially if you're a teacher that feels like you're alone, you're not. You've got people that are out there who believe in the same things you do. And we can connect you to that. So reach out and uh, we will give you the um, weapons that you need to fight this fight. Fantastic stuff. Once again, thank you to Yen Verhoeven. And I'm going to, I'm going to tag on the bit at the beginning. Doctor. Yen Verhoeven, thank you for your time. (laughs) And uh, we wish you all the best, as I said. That wraps up the education show for this episode. Thank you for listening. And whatever you're doing, take care of yourselves. That was the education show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.